I mean, I felt very hurt. I felt sad. I felt naive. You know, I felt like, you know, I should have known better. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to That Really Happened. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. They can get double-digit returns without the need to find, negotiate, close, and manage their properties. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. You can also go to my website, ellieperlman.com, and listen to all the episodes there. Today, I have a, a very, very great guest that I like very much, John Kasman. So John is a real estate entrepreneur who controls a portfolio worth over $58 million as a general partner. He started by house hacking a duplex and now partners with investors to purchase apartment buildings through his firm, Kasman Capital Group. He's the co-creator of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit, and we're going to talk about it later as well. I have some questions there. And that's a no-pitch event to connect like-minded investors. John also hosts a weekly real estate podcast, Target Market Insights, where he speaks with specialists across the country to uncover the best emerging markets, marketing tips, and investing insights. So John is going to talk with us today about a story of a partnership he had with a contractor on a flip that went sour and cost him a ton of money. And I cannot wait to hear this story. Hey, John, how are you doing today? Ellie, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where do you live now? I'm in Chicago, so I know it's sunny mm. California for you. It's snowy Chicago for us. Oh, <laughs> well, Chicago, that's, uh, I used to live in Boston for two years. I think Chicago might be slightly colder than Boston, so. Yeah, right now I think it is. Yeah, I think you're very brave living there. So we're going to talk about, you know, that, that flip that went sour. Can you kind of tell me and the listeners, what year is it? What are you doing? How did you get into purchasing this flip just so we can understand what's going on? Yeah. So this is around 2015. And at the time, to, for some background, I had been slowly growing my personal portfolio. So we were buying small multifamily and crushing it. I mean, just, you know, starting 2011, 2012, you're absolutely crushing it, right? So we were buying small multis, doing some really light renovations, just improving the properties a little bit and just really driving value. We had a two unit building where we almost doubled the value of the property. We bought a three unit building in one of the hottest neighborhoods in Chicago where we had identified that it was going to be a hot neighborhood. So that one went extremely well, increased the value by $100,000. We barely touched the property, right? We just bought in the right place, bought in the right path to progress, made some small managerial changes and boom, you know, just profit. So we were doing really well. We bought an eight unit building. And at that point, 
we were looking to scale because we were using our own money. I used all of my own money for our initial deals. When you say we, who is my wife you? And I, sorry, good question. My wife and I. So we were saving all of our own money and investing into these properties. And essentially what started to happen is we were still finding great deals, but I just invested, you know, six figures into this last acquisition. So because we were doing everything by our bootstraps, we realized that, hey, this is a very slow pace and we're going to miss out on a ton of opportunities. So as we started talking to more and more people, we're advised to two ways to start to grow your portfolio. One is obviously starting to work with other investors and working with other people. Um, and we saw that was a really big opportunity, but more importantly, it was a really big responsibility. So we took it upon ourselves to really educate ourselves and grow and learn all there is to learn about working with other people. And quite frankly, I had a lot of success, but some of that was through the market, through timing and other things like that. And I wanted to make sure we could replicate that success. So I spent a lot of time learning that. Well, during the same time frame, the other way that I learned that people were growing was by flipping houses. So I said, well, listen, I've done nothing but multifamily. I love multifamily. I'm not a flipper. I don't want to pretend to be a flipper or try to flip. But if I can find someone who knows how to flip and partner with them, you know, we can work together, we can make money, and that's a great way to do it. Lo and behold, I run into a buddy of mine who he had just bought his first multifamily property and he told me he was doing his first flip. And I was absolutely amazed. I'm like, how are you doing a flip this fast if you just bought your first property? And he starts to explain to me he's got this contractor partner that he's working with and the contractor will handle all the work. They've got, you know, some great financing in place. You just kind of have to come with 10% down. Really easy thing. They manage everything. You can, you know, see the property. And this guy was doing these bus tours. So I spent about a month and a half watching this guy and going and checking him out and seeing all the properties and talking to other people before we decided to sit and have a serious conversation about working together. And what we did, we kind of looked at it. We understood the model. And I thought, it, I mean, it still has a lot of potential, the model does. And what ended up happening for us was we got into this deal, everything that I had learned or that I had taught myself about flipping a property, this guy was doing a little bit differently. So that was kind of the first red flag. And from there, you know, the things kind of got a little bit worse. Well, what do you mean he was doing things differently? So one of the first things that you learn as a flipper is you need to buy a property for, you know, pennies on the dollar, right? So mm -hmm. you want to buy it around 70% below market value that being the, the purchase price, as well as your renovation costs. So if you know that the house, the ARV is $200,000, you know you need to get that house with all of your renovations, all of your acquisition costs for 140K, right? So that's kind of a, a pretty much a pretty standard rule of thumb. This guy, you know, I looked at the numbers that he had, they didn't match that. So that was kind of the first sign and I asked him about it. And again, he had a system. He had 10 houses going at one time and I had never flipped a house. I had just read about it in books. So for me, I kind of delegated to the expert and just kind of leaned on his expertise as opposed to really trusting the data or the research that I had done up to that point. So you meet this guy and, and based on your knowledge, the numbers should look differently. But you, you basically say, hey, you know what? He's the expert. He's done it before. I'm just partnering with him. That's my first flip. I'm going to rely on his expertise because I think he knows what he's doing. 
and you kind of decided to to move on. Do you remember what was the the difference in the numbers between what you thought would could be the purchase price and what he was willing to pay for the property? Yeah, I think we we bought it for I want to say if I can, if I reverse engineer this, I know the ARV was supposed to be 440. We put $140,000 in renovation, so I want to say we bought it for like 190 or something like that. So the the margins were kind of tight, but again, you know, he had the system set up that we looked into, and it was a thing where we were very concerned about that, right? We didn't just blindly walk up and say, oh yeah, here's our money. We did a lot of research. We talked to all of his current investors. We looked at all of their current projects and we talked to people who had, you know, gone full cycle with him on the projects and asked him, hey, were you able to make the money that uh, he projected? Did you sell the property for the price? Did, was the renovation cost what you expected? And we got yes, yes, and yes to all those questions. So it wasn't that we just blindly went with him. You know, we had talked to folks who it had worked with But ultimately, what we realized was in doing that, there was a flaw, but we couldn't figure out what the flaw was in the system. And in short, the system only worked if everything happened a certain way. And the moment there was a draw that didn't take place, he really had built a house of cards and all the work on the project stopped or slowed drastically. And at that point, you know, the red flags kind of went off and we knew that we had some trouble and we had two options. We could either, you know, cut bait, and cut our losses and know that, hey, we're going to absolutely lose money on this project because no other contractor can come in and finish this job for the price that he was doing the work. Or you hold on with blind faith and you, you, you help uh, drive the best you can with direction or feedback and work through the process. So we had a lot of conversations about ways to improve things and how to get things back on track. And then we sat down with all the other partners. So we knew it wasn't just us. There were a whole group of guys, you know, guys and girls who were in a similar boat. So we kind of try to pull ourselves together to say, how do we help him help us come up with some solutions? I mean, at the end of the day, it, it just didn't pan out. But, you know, we learned a lot about the process and our vetting process and working with people and said definitely lost money on that deal. And I did a lot more construction work than I ever anticipated. And I will say that, you know, by trying not to learn how to flip houses. I ended up getting a master's degree in how to do it the proper way. Yeah, no shortcuts, huh? Yeah. No shortcuts. So can I ask how much money you lost on the deal? We lost a lot of money. I'm going to say around 50K. Got it. And what happened at the end with the flip? You said that you were doing a lot of construction. So you took things into your own hands and said, hey, you know what? If if you can do it, I'm going to try and save my investment. And you went, you went there. Did you work on the house yourself or did you hire someone else to do it and kind of try and manage them? Yeah. So we, we ended up hiring another contractor. I mean, basically, I can't fix anything. I mean, if, if anyone <laughs> or me to use a hammer and nails. Yeah, we have that in common. Yeah, it's just it's just not going to look good. You know, my dad laughs at me about it, but I'm not the handyman guy. That, I'm not your guy. I am a pencil pusher. I'm great with numbers. I'm good talking, but I am not Mr. Fix-It. So we did hire another contractor. And I mean, the, the reality was we just kind of had to manage the process, right? So with me taking over the driver's seat, the first conversation was with our, our lender. And we sat down with our lender. We, we invited him out to the property. He had also lended on all the other projects. So this mm-hmm. was their preferred lender. So this wasn't a situation where it was like just us, you know, and I talked to people like, well, you kind of got scammed. I'm like, it depends on how you look at it. You know, I don't want to take the victim mindset. 
things I could have done better or differently. Um, and I think that's the way we have to approach it is to learn from our mistakes and make better decisions going forward and change our processes. But yes, we were, all of us were kind of misled to some degree. And we sat down with the, con- the lender and we said, listen, to fix this property, to finish this thing off, it's going to cost more money than I have left in the draw. We have two options. I can run away from this thing, which I don't want to do. I, if anyone has ever believed in me or given me a dollar, I'm giving you your money back. I'm going to make sure, you know, we pay it. Now, again, I might lose money and that sucks for me, but that's my lesson, right? So I said, I don't want to do that. But if you go hardball with me, you may not leave me very many options. The second thing is let's go back. Let's do a second loan for what I actually need to finish this project. I'll pay whatever rates or whatever we need to do, but let's get the job done. You're going to make the money because, you know, I'm still paying the interest. I had missed a payment or anything like that, but I can't finish this project with what I have left. So we sat down, we talked to him. I said, listen, I want to bring some contractors. You know, let's, let's talk through the game plan. And we did. And we, we finished up the project. We paid them all. So they got all their money. They're the only ones who made a lot of money on that deal. But it was one of those things where, again, you know, I take a sense of pride in knowing that we were able to pay them back. You know, to me, something like a bankruptcy is just simply not an option. I know that folks run through that path, but I'd rather figure out a way to make a deal work long term for those folks who believed in us as opposed to, you know, taking some legal actions just to, to kind of work my way out of it. So with that said, I mean, we, they helped us tremendously because they were willing to do everything with us. And I think that's where relationships come in, right? I mean, they could have easily said, I'm going to foreclose on you or, you know, hey, what you have left in the draw is what you have, figure it out. But they didn't. And they, they worked with me. And I think that goes to the relationship that we built, built with them, the transparency and what was going on with the project. And quite frankly, because they had so many deals going with this guy, I mean, they had loaned on about 10 or 12 projects with this guy at that time. And I was the guy who was being very transparent saying, hey, listen, there's an issue here. I think it's a much bigger issue than even my project. Let's talk through some solutions. So I think they really appreciated that. And we're actually still good friends. I, I just spoke to that lender not too long ago. Wow, being a good friend with your lender. <laughs> That's a whole new level of relationship, you know, it's, but I think you're, you're absolutely right. Your name is the most, you know, important thing, especially in the real estate business. doesn't matter if you deal with brokers, with owners, with investors, your name is worth a lot more than any investment you're going to make. And I think I definitely, you know, think that you took the right approach. That, that was really interesting. I wanted to ask you, John, how did you feel, uh, you know, that moment, I want to go back to that moment when you figure out that you know, you had that, that red flag that you decided to, you know, disregard and mm-hmm. trust someone with more experience than you at the time. And then when you realize that, wait a minute, I'm actually going to lose my money on this investment. How did that experience, that moment, I can take you back to that moment. How did it make you feel? Man, that's a great question. So I would say, you know, I went through a range of emotions from complete anger, just you know, pure rage to frustration, to disappointment, to, I mean, I felt very hurt. I felt sad. I felt naive. I felt stupid. You know, I felt like, you know, I should have known better. We're all smart real estate investors. I've been crushing it with everything I was doing. And I do well by trusting myself, not because I just blindly trust myself, but I ask the questions. I do the research. I put in the work up front. And in this case, And I think partially because it came through a recommendation from a friend and because I went and I saw it and I talked to 10 other people who were working with this guy because I saw so many other people doing it. And quite frankly, because I really didn't want to flip houses. I really just wanted the result. 
I felt like I was taking that shortcut. So I felt hurt and I felt sad more so in myself that I allowed myself to take a shortcut and have that ramification based on it. And, you know, obviously money is money and no one likes losing money. But I will say that in hindsight, I'm glad that it was just my money that I lost and I didn't lose yeah. else's money. And that's, that's really, really important to us. I mean, I don't think you can get in the game where you're working with other investors and, and working with their investments because they work very hard. And that's why I took it so personal then and even now, because I know what it's like to lose money. And yeah. I know what it's like to put your trust in someone else because they are the expert, because they have more experience than you. And have that person essentially not give a damn. I mean, this person could have absolutely made this situation not that bad. They knew from the beginning that they did not have the resources to manage all these projects the way they were doing it. I mean, I didn't find that out until later, but I found out from the lead contractor that to do the work before they took a penny in profit themselves, it was 165K and they were doing the work for 140K. Now who signs up to do a job where you know you're going to lose $25,000? How do you think that's going to be sustainable? I just, the plan didn't make any sense. And I think ultimately for us, it comes back to trust. It comes back to building relationships, building rapport. And I would say that trust was kind of hard for me for a little bit because you have someone who you work with and you just don't, you know, they don't seem to value you, your dollar, your efforts, the way you do, you know, that was hard. So, you know, for us, I would say we take it even more seriously when we work with our investors now for that same reason, because I've been in those shoes. I've been in the seat where someone has taken my money and was not, you know, managing it properly. And it hurts because, you know, that's time you know, 50K or whatever that amount is may or may not seem like a lot of money depending on who you're talking to. But it's time that I invested to create that money, whether that was trading hours for dollars, whether that was making wise decisions, investing my money. And that was taken. It was taken with no regard. I've lost money on other deals, only through flipping, never through multifamily. I love multifamily. Um, (laughs) We have that in common also. (laughs) which is part of the reason I only do multifamily. Um, <laughs> but I will tell you that, you know, there's a transparency and an honesty and a relationship that, you know, I can take bad news if something happens to my investment, if I invest passive, because I also invest passively through my self-direct IRA into other projects. So I can take bad news or, hey, project's not working well or something's happening if you're open and honest and upfront, because then maybe I can provide some other guidance. I mean, I have a lot of business mm-hmm. experience. I've worked for a lot of large companies. So I understand how to manage teams and systems and things like that. But I can't deal with dishonesty. And I can't deal with someone who's not trustful or trustworthy. So that's the thing that we kind of look for even in everything we do going forward with our investors. And I know people don't necessarily think about that when it comes to investors, but with our investors, you know, it's a two way street. We want investors who are trustworthy, who we want to do business with. Mm-hmm. We want our vendors, our property management company, our contractors, any co-GPs that we work with. We want to work with people we like. We want to work with people we trust. We want to work with people who we can believe in and who are going to work together. And, you know, when we from come across people and we have those red flags go off, we pay a lot more attention to them now. And we flag it. And quite frankly, if there's a flag, we will just move on. We, we just, there's just, a no, there are not a lot of other people that you can do business with. And there's no point in dealing with someone who you can't trust or you have to keep finding yourselves validating anything that they're saying. I mean, we find ourselves questioning any information, Mm -hmm. then we really need to question who we're working with. 
Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, definitely building, building trust and, and, you know, expanding your, your network. That's one of the most important things that any investor, whether passive or active, you know, can do. And I know you're, you're running the, um, the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit that is coming up on June, uh, June 1st and 2nd. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's an event for investors of all types. I mean, obviously I focus on multifamily and larger multifamily, but we have a uh, small multifamily, some fix and flippers and some wholesalers. And it is uh, a partnership. I'm excited about the event. It's June 1st and 2nd. And basically it's a no pitch event. So no one's going to sell you anything. I don't have a a program or a coaching platform or anything like that that we're going to sell you. It's about information to help you drive your business forward. If you want to be a real estate investor, if you're currently a real estate investor, we're all looking to get to the next level. So yeah. that's what this event is about. Whether you are looking to syndicate, if you're looking to find passive investments, if you want to learn how to wholesale, if you want to learn how to fix and flip, if you want to just scale your business, you're, you're doing it now, you're doing three deals a year, you want to get to 10 deals a year. We're going to bring in those kind of speakers to help you talk about creating the systems, the processes to scale your business. Last year was our first year doing it. We had uh, just a phenomenal group of speakers. I can't quite announce these speakers for this year just yet, but that'll be coming very shortly here. But last year we had people like Dave and Horn, Joe Fearless, George Newberry, Jay Martin. We had a host of pretty well-known speakers talking about, you know, note investing and apartment syndication and building your brand and, you know, uh, how to vet contractors and all of these different things. So it's a really great platform. I look forward to really bringing this event together. It is a three-day experience with the first day being more of a networking event and kind of a tour of the city and then two full days of pure information. So super excited about the event. People can go to MidwestRESummit.com to learn more or buy tickets. And uh, like I said, super excited about the event. And, and it's in June. So it will be warm and sunny. And I will go <laughs> as the best place on the planet, bar none. Winter, whole different story. But summertime, summertime Chicago, best place in the place in the world to be. All right. Well, who wouldn't want to go now with this, you know, great description of Chicago in the summertime? I don't think I've ever been to Chicago in the summertime, actually. Went there maybe once. It was very cold. But we're not going to talk about the weather because obviously I'm in a different weather system and probably a different world altogether in Santa Monica. So if people want to get in touch with you, how can they reach out to you? How can they find you? Yeah, they can go to the website, chasmincapital.com. Um, as you mentioned in the bio, I have a podcast, Target Market Insight, so they can check that out. Or you can just shoot me an email, john at chasmincapital.com. All right, perfect. And then the last question that I didn't ask you was if you could look back and, you know, look at 20-year-old John, what would you tell yourself? Ooh, 20-year-old John. What, um, what were you doing back then? Well, I was in school. I was in college at 20 mm -hmm. 20-year-old John was a what, junior, probably, sophomore, junior. 20-year-old John had a lot of interest. Real estate was one of them, but I didn't quite know how to pursue real estate at that time. So what I would tell 20-year-old John is to pursue it sooner. He was on the internet, so he could have been more resourceful. I was big into wrestling at that point, and I was actually big into, it's going to sound really dorky, but I was into e-wrestling. 
it's not even, I don't even think it's a real thing now, but it's like fantasy wrestling, if you will, where we would create characters and tell these stories about these characters. Oh, that's um, amazing. So I'd probably tell myself, stop spending so much damn time doing that and start finding <laughs> some properties to invest in. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the best pieces of advice I've heard. Stop e-wrestling, start buying buildings. That's good. <laughs> All right, John. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You know, you're also, you know, a friend of mine. So was really happy to hear, you know, this story and catch up with you. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Ellie. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.